Welcome to Take Note, episode 101. I am Adam. I'm here with my co-host, Ted. Ted, how you doing? I'm doing all right. I was a, I was a Frenchman for Halloween. Beret. Oh, I wish uh, I had been there to chief. hear the accent. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it was a it was a sorry sort of Frenchman. I could I could give you bonjour, and then after that, I had nothing. So it was a, I was a relative disappointment to the people I interacted with throughout the evening. You didn't you didn't pronounce uh, French stationery brands. Ah, that would have been a good calendage. Yeah, Herbine, That would have been a good a good go to. Didn't think of it. Yeah. You said you were wearing, I talked over you, you said you were wearing a beret, and what a, else? A little red neckerchief, and a shirt with the horizontal stripes on it, and, and some, Nothing else. <laughs> I had some large, I got some large white tennis shoes recently. Uh, I like to think that they are, like, dad-style tennis shoes, but just stylish enough to let you know that I'm doing it on purpose. That's okay. what I like, like French to think. dad style. Well, and you shoes. know, my wife said uh, she she has spent some time in France, and she said, "Oh no, wear those shoes." Uh, uh, French Frenchmen wear large white uh, sneakers like that. Who might oh, argue? She loves you. Who That's might? Sweet. Who might argue? <laughs> well, how are you, sir? Uh, I'm pretty good. You know, on this show, I don't like to talk about street style or mm-hmm. costume style. I like to talk about what we've written in our notebooks. And uh, so I'm going to ask you, Ted, what do you got? All right. Well, this is what I got. This is, uh, let's see. Here we go. Uh, so this is in my uh, Leuchtturm 1917 small pocket notebook that I've I've now been using even longer than I thought because uh, I've been sitting down at the end of the evening to write longhand in my uh, seven C's writer. So I've actually have not written as much in this little pocket notebook and now I'm getting super tired of it, which is what (laughs) happens to me. Um, But here we go. I was talking to my mother about Under the Tuscan Sun, uh, which I watched instead of the last presidential debate. Whatever happened? They were very similar, I bet. (laughs) Whatever happened to Diane Lane, she said. We both realized that Diane Lane may very well have an absolutely thriving career, but it's entirely out of view because there are so many things to watch and so many different ways to watch them. And I imagined Diane Lane responding with, but I made 12 movies in a miniseries last year. Uh, I'm wondering now if there are Diane Lane mega fans out there watching every single minute of her content <laughs> across every platform. <laughs> there was there was a period, I mean, I think early 2000s, where she was just in fantastic movie after fantastic movie. Well, including Under the Tuscan Sun, presumably. And is Under the Tuscan Sun, is that a film adaptation of a Peter Mayle? No. Is that uh, his name, memoir? That you're thinking of Hotel Provence, or, or, or some, toujours, some version of Provence. Uh, okay. which I read a piece of his fiction recently, which uh, you did not like it. It was all right. I was okay. I was glad to be done with it, although it wasn't entirely unenjoyable. Nevertheless, this is in the same category. Um, I, I'm going to blank on the name of the author, so I'm not even going to try. Okay, uh, I have not all read right. the book, but it's yes, it's a it's a 
a writer who travels to uh, Tuscany and experiences. I was going to guess Tuscany. <laughs> it's Tusk. I had to think Tuscan. Yes, that yeah. tra- that, that tracks with Tuscany. Uh, buys an old house, you know, uh, l- looking for love, coming off of a divorce. Um, pretty good movie, you know. Diane Lane is quite charismatic, and and uh, there's some fun characters. And it was uh, Sandra O, oh, a younger Sandra O, oh, plays a plays a role. It was a lot better than a presidential debate, and uh, I enjoyed myself. What do you got, Adam? Uh, well, I was just thinking I. Uh, we watched The Phantom Son tonight with my kids. Uh, first time subjecting them to the prequels. They they really want to watch all you the mean, Star Wars movies. You mean Under the Phantom Son? Well, I was just thinking, do you, I really hope that there is... Uh, the Phantom Menace is what I meant. Did I say Phantom Son? You did. I really well, enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah. I, well, because I was thinking, I really hope that someone has written Under the Tatooine Sons. <laughs> That's what, anyways, that's not what I wrote in my notebook. What I wrote in my notebook was, uh, <laughs> and this is it. In a few days, we're going on a road trip because we want to wear masks in new places. And we did go on a road trip and we did wear masks in new places. And um, we were one of the only people, we were a few of the only people wearing masks in new places is what we discovered. Road trips are fun these days. Uh Masks in New Places, uh, I think that's the second installment of uh, the Hallmark Channel's Love in the Time of Cholera. I uh, love it. Film series. <laughs> what do you got, Ted? Uh, I actually, uh, this is a, a beret-related uh, notebook entry. Uh, this beret looks too ridiculous to wear in public. I'd be embarrassed Instead, I will remove it to reveal my batshit crazy COVID haircut. Fantastic. Yeah. New masks. New masks in new places. What do you got, Adam? Well, this is what I get. I wrote, it's been seven, probably eight months since I've had a haircut. I'm now in a strange new phase. I look less like a clown and more like a cartoon villain. It looks bad still, but more intentional. I care less who sees it. I walked to a hipster coffee shop in St. Louis without a hat. I thought, it's not like I'll see these people again. (laughs) And if I do, I'll be wearing a hat and they won't recognize me. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like uh, villain villain hair is crazy, but it's sort of in it's in well-defined shapes that make it clear that it it's part of their part of their look. Right. It doesn't look like I've given up anymore. It looks like um, it looks like a choice. <laughs> like my shoes, like my white tennis shoes. Right. This is a choice. Right. I have chosen. Um, so I was walking through a shopping center, uh, and there was a firehouse subs uh, that had some outdoor seating that I was just walking generally in the vicinity of. Uh, and there was a an adult woman sitting at a table outside uh, with a with a sandwich in front of her, and her partner was sort of walking back inside, but speaking to her. And she said, "I just want to eat my sandwich." <laughs> and I thought to myself, among adults, 
<laughs> what is the possible sequence of life choices that leads up to a, a, an adult person yelling in a f- public setting to another adult person who clearly they've chosen most likely to share their life with? I just want to. I want to eat my sandwich. Which it did not uh, not appear to my eye that anybody was in any way <laughs> inhibiting her from eating her sandwich, which is right in front of her. Well, really, really struck me. <laughs> I think I, I've got a theory as to how the whole conversation went because I don't. You didn't hear the beginning of it. Uh, I I heard none of it except that one exclamation. This is what was said right before she screamed. I just want to eat my sandwich. Somebody said, hey, what's the slogan for Firehouse Subs? <laughs> okay. Uh, what do you got, Adam? Uh, well, I, I mine is also carb-related. It feels like <laughs> there's just a limited amount of things that anyone's doing anymore. Yes. So we're going to start matching. Car- carbs <laughs> and masks. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I watch from inside the bagel shop as a man approaches my car pauses and then opens the door to enter my car i say to the guy at the cash register the guy's walking into my car only after he opens the door does he realize his mistake and though no one is like in the lot with him he raises his hands like he's under arrest (laughs) he closes the door he then walks to his car uh, his his own black car which incidentally looks nothing like mine Mm. but uh he needed his carbs, probably. Well, you... He was right. You were watching him, and he raised his hand. So mm-hmm. he he was right to think that the someone was watching who might think that he was attempting to break I guess so. I guess so. I, he, yeah. he was on the money. He was on the money. I mean, he I was not like on the money with his, car choice. No. As soon as he raised his hand, you thought to yourself, we're good. This guy is on the level. <laughs> he is on the level. Nothing I've, I've done it enough. I knew what was happening. I did not realize I hadn't locked my car door, so well, I was surprised yeah. when the door opened. Exactly. That's the, yeah. that's the, it's like when when someone's key work, key from the same model car works in a different car. We've all we're all trained to think that those are impenetrable fortresses. <laughs> I've been reading a book. I think you've been reading it too by Jeff Tweedy. Yeah, we're doing all the same things lately. We're do yeah, we're just mirroring. We're twinning. We're we're the sliding doors, uh, slightly different. I did. I gave myself a haircut. Follow up on the haircut conversation. I wore pants for Halloween, so it's not all the same. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, Jeff Tweedy wrote the. You know where Jeff Tweedy is the is the king of pandemic content. (laughs) He uh, he and his family started uh, an Instagram television show. Uh, the Tweety Show, back in March, which is still going pretty strong, all things considered. They've done over a hundred episodes of music and and good times and laughs, and uh, they even published a book and an album. Uh, in all this time, Jeff Tweedy, lead singer of Wilco. I ordered a copy of this book from uh, Main Street Books. Davidson, North Carolina, operated by my my the most famous person I know, Ada Fitzgerald. Got got myself a copy, independent bookstore. Uh, halfway through it, 
uh, as I think you are too, Adam. What, what are your thoughts? What are you thinking? Well, I so I got the book as a gift from my wife, and as much as I am a Jeff Tweedy fan, I am not a songwriter, so I'm not sure if I would have bought it for myself. Um, but I am enjoying it, and I'm trying to use the songwriting uh, tasks that he sets out, or the assignments or the practices. I don't remember what he calls them to, uh, to, to, for fiction work really. Yeah. Um, so, and, and you know, maybe, maybe I'll write a poem or something, or maybe yeah. I'll, maybe something will turn into a song at some point, but, uh, I've been enjoying that. And it's interesting. I think we both said that it is a short book, but it's not a fast book because of the, um, because of the practices and because it's not really a book that you're meant to just read from cover to cover. It's like a workbook. Yeah. It's a actually a so, very practical book. That's right. So I, you know, I like that I've got like word ladders going on, like matching verbs with unexpected nouns and then trying to turn them into things that I'm already working on writing. And actually as a result of it, when I'm working, when I'm reading that book, um, either directly because of the, the practices that I'm doing from the book or because of the inspiration from those practices I've been writing, like I've been sitting down and writing eight, 10 pages a day in my notebook lately, which is really unusual for me. Nice. Um, yeah. What about you? Well, what do I, you think so, of that? So my, my big takeaway that is, uh, you know, I really, I don't think I knew what to expect because the premise is, you know, how to write one song. And that's a, that's a pretty, uh, that's a pretty specific premise. But what I found is that it's essentially a treatise on creativity and uh, the value uh, in his life that he places on creativity, and the I would say the the work that he's done to put himself in a position to create uh, on a very regular basis, and that you know essentially he's a he's almost a religious figure uh, for creativity, a monk of creativity. You know, every day, day in day out. These really focused practices, this routine around setting himself up for creativity and then essentially delighting in how much he can surprise himself with the results of that creativity and, and embracing the the uncertainty of it, but then the, the delight that comes from, you know, a new turn of phrase or a new melody or, you know, song component. But all of these are things that you can absolutely apply to any realm of creativity. As you're saying, you know, it informs your fiction writing or it, it spurs you on to writing more in your journal. And, you know, I think anybody, you know, you could be a painter. And if you use kind of some of the principles of this thing, you know, sit down at a certain time of day. Uh, basically, don't be afraid to screw up because the very worst that can happen is that you just, move on to something else that you screwed up and you learn right. something else. It's about, you know, he really wants people to stop um, putting limits on what they think they can do just because of some preconceived notion about what you may or may not be good at or what might, you know, but it's, it's basically, you know, his, I'd say one of the main ideas is don't be afraid of making bad art. Like what's the worst thing that can happen from making bad art? And it, I think one of the funniest lines was, uh, he was saying, you know, no, nothing bad ever happened from like writing a bad song. And he said, I know maybe some of you are thinking Friday, 
by Rachel Black, that horrible song. <laughs> you know, maybe that's an exception. And he, but he said, to be honest, you know, the real errors in judgment there were producing and marketing the song more so than actually writing the song. So. <laughs> Um, that was a strange shot in the dark since I didn't remember the song so well, but it, it did delight me. So, um, yeah, which is a, it's a perfect illustration. It's like, oh, are you worried that your terrible song is going to be published and uh, listened to millions of times and you'll, you'll right. become a social pariah, you know? Right. But I, so his, I mean, first of all, his writing voice is delightful. There's just, he's a good writer. And second of all, it's just, it's about creativity and giving, and just enjoying uh, kind of what is available to you as a human being and the rewards of creativity for most, if not all human beings. So I, I've been absolutely pleasantly surprised by the book. Tim Wassum of the Erasable Podcast teed me up to enjoy it. He's already fired through it and he said he was about to start reading it again. I mean, it's just oh, nice. like a great, it's just a I really can see reading this over and over, uh, over time, and delighting in it. I was trying to write a scene about a man who uh, walks to a coffee shop with a couple dogs following him, and I the only idea that I really had that I really liked was in the moment that he finally drinks his coffee, he he really wakes up and turns on, and all of his senses start working again. And how do you describe that hmm. um, in fiction? And that was all I had. I didn't know really what was going to come after it or if there was anything that was going to come after it. And then I, I run right into the word ladder exercise that Tweety recommends where in the book, I think he says, take, um, make a list of verbs associated with doctors and then make a list of nouns, uh, common nouns of things that you can see that are in your vision, in your line of vision at that moment. And I liked that. And I tried that once and then I wanted to sort of mix it up. And so for the story, I took verbs associated with police officers and nouns that you would see in a coffee shop. And just, and then you just draw lines between the verbs to the to things that don't necessarily, um, you know, things that wouldn't necessarily work together. Like, uh, I had stake out a window and, um, investigate the beans and patrol the milk and uh shine the sugar i think um but 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 actually for what i was trying to do to have this character's senses like w suddenly wake up and turn on it was great to have these different uh sort of verbs that you wouldn't expect with what was going on in front of him so well, in that you, sense it if was your kind of senses perfect. were suddenly turned on you may very well investigate the beans that's right i that's love that. right yeah, yeah. But what about you? You wrote a song, right? I actually, I ended up writing a song that was before I had even gotten to kind of the more pragmatic songwriting components of the book. I was still more in the uh, in the creativity discussion that, that starts it off and, and hurdles probably more than halfway through the book. Um, you know, I think it's like, it, it really is that kind of just let yourself do some stuff. You know, I don't, and this is what he speaks to. It's like, if you think you're going to like just write some amazing poem or, you know, it's a poem that becomes a song. I don't know. What's the, why are you putting so much pressure on yourself? And I think that's, there's a lot of, um, you know, I've, I, I don't have aspirations to be a songwriter, but I like to play guitar. I like to sing. I like to write things down. And eventually 
you know, you, you, it'd be nice to do something like that. And I've actually started a number of songs and never even gotten to the second verse because you kind of, you run out of uh, the momentum of the excitement of even starting out and you kind of think, oh man, I got to do this rhyme scheme for the next however many. But <laughs> but the, the, the Tweety approach is just to... Um, to not worry about the end of the song when you're at the beginning to just to see where things go and i think that was it was helpful and it did i i wrote you know six verses or something and it's it i think i i've actually been able to kind of iterate on it as i get farther into the book and kind of you know i it's fun to have kind of the skeleton of something and and try to sing like a different emotional version you know and like at first it was kind of a plotting country and then I, and then i read a line here where he's like just go outside and scream and so then i tried <laughs> like a you know like a screaming version of the same lyrics and found that it was sort of a different thing and then you just realize as you realize with all creative work the version of whatever you're experiencing if it's a book a poem a song the 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 version that it's in is the exclusion of every other potential alternative that that artist had at their disposal. So like the strokes, the strokes sound like the strokes because they made so many small decisions that led to that sound. And it's almost a reverse thing because it can be almost kind of overwhelming. But then so you're thinking to yourself, well, what do I want? what do I want the experience to be either for myself or for the listener? And it's just, I don't know. It's so interesting just to think how many variables there are. And I think, you know, Tweety, I think embraces that as a way of saying, uh, don't be afraid of the variables, but actually mess with them and tweak them and surprise yourself. And don't think that you actually have the answer before you start screwing around and experimenting and you know investigate the coffee and see where that goes and if it's if you get one good line out of 20 take that line and start a new poem or start a new right. paragraph you know i i love that approach where it's like i think it's very friendly to the way we try to think about things on the show which is you know we don't we don't obsess about any end products on this podcast, you know, perhaps to a fault, perhaps to a fault. <laughs> um, you know, and, but I, you know, I think life, you know, fancy novelists, they can worry about the end product. Yeah. Uh, yeah. the, the songwriters for... for frozen two can worry about the end product, which I say because they were on a recent episode of, Judge John Hodgman, and they're actually delightful. I've found them obnoxious in past media appearances, but the, it was a it was a lovely episode. So I what recommend a you fantastic check that out. backhanded compliment yeah. for the Frozen Two people. Well, if they're listening, then the mere shock of their listening will will supersede any other possible embarrassment. Well, I'll I'll have. say that I found them delightful on previous appearances. I. The, the, the jury's Judge still John out as Hodgman far as I'm show? concerned on the Judge John Hodgman show. Oh. I think, I, I don't remember what podcast I've heard them on before, I but I, I have. Yeah. I seem to recall in the middle, in their Oscar acceptance speech being like, oh, they seem a little annoying. Then, of course, you realize perhaps that an Oscar acceptance speech is not the best context in which to uh, make your final 
ultimate judgment. They're obviously good songs. And they did maybe, the music for... Maybe you just had to watch Frozen a few too many times. Well, they did... I learned that they did the music for Coco as well, which is, I think, my favorite children's movie uh, in, in this generation ten, ten, ten. of all time. Let it go. <laughs> you know, I'm okay. actually flipping through my notebook and uh, a note I put down yesterday, a quote from my eight-year-old. Uh, we were looking at her slime exhibit that she made for Halloween, some jar of slime, and a, she had a uh, had a, a, um, a little handout that said, like, beware, you know, toxic. And she was just telling me about it, and she said, it's in process. Nothing looks good in process. <laughs> Which is a direct, uh, I realize, contradiction in terms to everything that we are, uh, the creative e- ethos that we are espousing. Is your daughter going to start a slime business, selling slime on uh, Instagram? It's real money to be made there. I mean, I feel like making it at home, you're kind of undercutting that business, right? That's right. That's right. Although I want to believe that all the slime being sold on Instagram, I've got to believe, is being made at home. Uh, Well, I guess the last thing maybe I'd say about this book is just for anybody listening to this podcast for a thin little book on creativity like that to uh to for the for the results even just to be that you're writing a lot more in your notebook mm-hmm. i think is enough really to sell a book because i i think everybody uh, all all the notebook heads out there are just asking you know what should i write in my notebook what do yeah. you write in your notebook how can yeah. i write more in my notebook yep and i think this this book even though it's about how to write a song is a is a good solution to everyone's problems. Absolutely. It's uh it's it's a it's it's a creative prompt without being one. It's it's helping you helping you look at life as as a one big creative prompt and the positive effects therein. And I think it's also about not treating art as some precious thing where you have to be uh, with apologies to occasional co-hosts number one fan Ryan Sly it doesn't have to be perfect when you put it down and you shouldn't be careful about what you throw down in your notebook you should be uh fancy free and creative and experiment and tear a page out and stick it in and you know put it in the front of your notebook where it fits better instead of the back and and uh I don't know just just experiment see what happens I really hope Ryan Sly will still talk to you after you laid down that harsh insult that he is a perfectionist. <laughs> he, well, he has the... I mean, I'm just jealous of him. That's what it comes down to. But he will... He will we understand. He will transcribe... He'll recall from previous episodes. He will transcribe a story, you know, a, a subsequent draft of his delightful short fiction in longhand... Uh, with a with a fancy fountain pen that will be the next iteration of his draft. So he's creating this amazing book of handwritten versions of his well edited stories, and it's uh, or so he claims. Okay, um. <laughs> I'll, I've laid eyes. I've laid eyes upon it, like Indiana Jones and the the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, speaking of songs, you texted me about niche radio. I did not read the article you texted me. I didn't really answer you. Basically, it said save it for the podcast. So talk to me about niche radio. 
Well, there's this nice New York Times. It's barely an article. It's a column, column like you know, short thing from their at-home section uh, about kind of niche. Barely or... an article. Listen, they had to write one listicle. They have a book called How to Write One Listicle, and they wrote one listicle. Um. <laughs> uh... They did publish it though, so the so the results of publishing that's that's on them, as we've learned. Um, but it's about uh, alternative, like, like interesting radio stations from around the world, and basically, you know, the internet opens up all these uh, radio listening opportunities. I didn't even absorb like um, a single one of the options, like, but it's just you know cool stuff from Nigeria and Scotland and all this different kind of stuff and it 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 also it it reminded me of a couple of things one i feel like monocle magazine has included some features on like some radio station from a boat in Mallorca and it also made me think of uh David Plotz one of the co-hosts of one of your favorite podcast the slate political gab fest who is entering into a new venture creating i guess city-based podcasts with like local news and i just love the idea and i i might even love the idea more than i've uh implemented <laughs> it, to it day to day yeah. but yeah. i think my my this fantasy i've had for maybe a couple months it's maybe it's you know pandemic related but I have this fantasy about like a neighborhood centric podcast where I just sort of roved around the neighborhood and, you know, maybe interview a neighbor, maybe cover some, you know, oh, this construction project seems like it's been going on a long time. And there's this big weird metal thing that's been sitting out for a while. I should do, you know, like an investigative report on that metal thing. <laughs> I should I'll do it. Inv- it out. I sneezed. All People right. sneeze. It's real life. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, publish it almost on a neighborhood level. And I had that idea even before Plotz's idea uh, to do it citywide. Oh, perfect. Yeah. I'm not saying, I'm not saying you got the idea from, from me. Well, no, I'm pretty sure that because I keep talking about the political gab fest on the show, they probably hacked us and he took your idea. That's, That's what true. I think. Uh, seems likely. <laughs> So I, I, it's just an appealing concept to me of niche radio, but then niche podcasting and then micro niche. And it, I don't know, it seems like a cool, a yeah. cool sort of mental thing to think about. So I, I saw your text and I jotted down the niche radio stuff that I knew of that I somehow, that I made a list made my own little listicle i didn't publish it uh with you know recommendations i've seen things i've tried and the radio station that i i mean i don't know if this is really what you consider niche radio but the radio station i listen to from all from a thousand miles away i listen to wwoz out of new orleans Mm. um which is the greatest radio station in the country um i listen to that one all the time and then I'll also you mentioned Monocle. I I really enjoy listening to um a couple of the Monocle yep. radio shows. I like when I tune into it. This time of year it's kind of it's rough because one of the reasons I like listening to the Monocle news show is f- so that I don't have to be um 
deluged with U.S. political news, mm-hmm. but this is the time of year when uh, it, it's just unavoidable, even if you're listening to a radio station out of England. Um, and then a couple of recommendations that I happen to have seen very recently, and maybe they are somewhat what related to this listicle, is uh, Okara from Radio France, hmm. which is a world music station, but it's not Radio France's normal uh, world music. They call them web radios. You have to download, it took me a while to find it, but you have to download the Radio France app and then flip through their web radios. Um, and it is it is more niche world music than their normal world music hmm. uh, uh, station. Also, nice thing about that, what I've noticed on their website is pretty cool. You can see of all the different web radio stations playing, and there's dozens of different stations, so that you can see what's playing at all times at a very easy to like there's a you know like a like the the record image is showing and you can see them all at all times and i have discovered that i believe radio france by law has to have one station playing tom waits at all times (laughs) um which would be great if that was here right i mean like it's playing on their jazz station typically or one of their jazz stations which makes sense um i also saw radio woodstock recommended recently um, I have not listened to that yet. And then I have this app, which I couldn't even remember the name of, but I checked it out before the show. It is called Radio. It's got five O's. And what that does, it is not technically radio, but it is a map of the world. And you select a location. Uh, yeah. And you select a decade. And yeah. then it creates a playlist of music from that area from that decade. I think I tried that know... for a bit and was immediately overwhelmed just even yeah. by the idea of it. Me too. Even just the number of O's in the name of the title, <laughs> bit overwhelming. Yeah. Well, it makes me that makes me think of Krungbin, um, the band K H R. I'll let you figure out the rest. Uh, they do. They've done this thing, and they they have these Spotify playlists, and they do it on their website as well. You can go to their website, and they're kind of some sort of vibe of like it will take you on a musical journey, and they have these different names like. Uh, Paris to Lagos. And then they've got like all kinds of eclectic music selections that kind of are from, you know, kind of morph in between these regions and they kind of have got their own groove and they're, they're also sort of inspirations for the band. Um, It's kind of a a cool, similar vibe to that, that I've enjoyed a lot because you can just throw on a one of their Spotify playlists. Like, they're actually linked from... If you go on Spotify to their band page, you can get to all these different playlists they've made. Super cool. You know, the, that, that reminds me, the author, uh, journalist, uh, photographer, Teju Cole, uh, the Nigerian author, he has a ton of playlists, uh, some of which have similar titles. It's what made me think of that. But just wherever he is at the at the moment, I assume, or wherever he's trying to remember or trying to place himself, he has just a ton of different playlists. Um, just cool. just like that on Spotify on and and a bunch called A History of Jet Lag, which I think are I, I don't even know what it means. That's actually one of the great things about it. I don't know if A History of Jet Lag is stuff he plays <laughs> on the plane or stuff he plays. You know, to remind him of a place. But yeah, they're on they're on Spotify and they're well worth investigating as well. I mean, all of these speak to what is sort of interesting about it. You know, it's like I think radio historically was connected to a sense of place. I mean, in a way, we're talking about 
two different I, I my niche idea was almost like go dramatically zoomed in on your sense of place and create stuff that's like zeroed in on that but i think without in the music landscape it's almost taking yourself outside of the context of your area and almost you know you can sort of you can almost travel by radio station even intentionally right it's, uh yeah. it's cool man and i you know some it's not always you're not always in the right mind space to do it i don't think Something about it, something, it's almost like the ham radio idea, you know, like, like you could build, build some big antenna and hear like, you know, someone in Russia talking into their microphone. It's some, it's some new, some new trippy iteration of that vibe. Man, what if, what if uh, COVID just got everybody into ham radio again? That would be the least expected outcome of this whole thing. I'm close, man. I'm close. I'm writing it down. COVID ham radio. COVID ham radio. Why don't we do this again next week, Adam? Sounds great, Ted. Check us out on the internet. Take note dot space. Uh, it's a website. We are on Twitter at twitter.com slash take note pod. Take care and goodbye. <laughs>